unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, David Garfinkel, the world's greatest copywriting coach, back once again to drop some jewels for all the copywriters out there. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I have been waiting all week to cover this particular episode. You you sent me the show notes, so I kind of got a, a sneak peek inside of the package. But like I said last week, I felt like I felt like a kid at Christmas time looking under the Christmas tree, seeing the presents, <laughs> and I cannot wait to jump into it. So what do we got this week? Oh, let me start with an imaginary slot machine, okay? It's a very special slot machine. And this one only takes quarters, and every time you put in four quarters, it gives you back five quarters. And pretty soon, those extra quarters start to add up. Now, wouldn't you want to play a machine like that all day? Or play two machines at the same time? <laughs> or play 10 at a time? Or play 100 at a time? Yeah. Okay, well, see, that's what a good piece of copy does. After the copy is written, and you spend, let's say, $1 in marketing, you get $1.25 back in profits. So... For every letter you mail out or for every ad dollar you spend, for every lead you send to a website, VSL, magazine ad, 25% ROI. That's a nice return on your investment. Great. Except maybe not. Suppose the slot machine changed. Suppose it started giving back only three quarters for every four quarters you put in. What would you do? You're losing money. You got to do something. Or let's even ask another question. Suppose instead of getting five quarters back, you wanted to get six back or seven. What would you do then? Well, in both cases, turning three quarters back into five quarters again, or turning five quarters to six or seven, the solution is the same. You want to improve the performance of the piece of copy. Remember, everything else is going to be the same your cost to mail it out, the cost of the leads the cost of processing the orders. Okay, there's a little incremental change there, but basically, you know, if your profit is constant, then you're going to be making more money if you can improve the copy. In this episode, I'd like to share some little known secrets for getting more money out of the same money you put out. So I have heard, and I've heard this both ways, argued both ways, and I want to get your opinion. Some people say, well, it takes multiple touch points. So if you put a dollar in and you only get 75 cents back it's just because they didn't see the ad enough times you need to put more dollars in um what's your what's your position on that i think that you've got a little bit of people making an excuse there um there is some truth to that but in order for something to work it's got to work at a very basic simple level first i think that's a good thing to talk about when you're scaling and when you're um, dealing with cold traffic and uh, when you're going further and further out in the edge of, um, you know, your target market. But and, you know, it's 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 nuanced. It's a complicated situation. But basically, you never want to depend on that. That's more of an excuse that I mean, that's sort of getting into 
um, the old brand advertising thing saying, well, someone needs to see an ad 27 times before they're going to buy. Mm-hmm. Well, how about with direct response when they see it once and they buy? Yeah, because I was just reading uh, Bruce Barton's My Life in Advertising, and he argued exactly what you just said. He said that uh, if he'll put a little bit of money into it at first, and if he doesn't see an immediate response, that lets him know that it's not worth dumping more money into. Yeah, you don't want to do the old thing they, they used to do in the garment district on the Lower East Side of New York, where you lose money on every sale, but you make it up in volume. Not. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's continue. Okay, so I I did want to remind everybody that copy is powerful, and you are responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health or finance or business opportunity. You may want a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, how do you fix a piece of copy that's not performing well enough? And how do you improve copy that's profitable, but you want to make it more profitable? Okay. There are three time-tested, proven ways to do that. I'm sure there are others, but these are the ones that have worked over time consistently. And those are the ones I'd like to share with people. Uh, The first one is to adjust your headline. The second one is to adjust your offer. And the third one is to adjust your pricing. We'll go over several ways to fix each one of those three things. Because when you get them right, they work like gangbusters. And the the headline being the very first part of the chain, uh, how important... Is it to, uh, is that like what you would recommend the very first thing that you pay attention to? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the headline is worth between 80 and 90% of the effectiveness of the copy. You know, it's sort of the old 80, 20 rule. And, um, and the headline is actually much less than 20% of your copy in most cases. So the, the, yeah, I mean, I would definitely start there. I mean, Ted Nicholas, um, an old school direct marketer. I've spoken on stage with him a couple times. He's in Switzerland now. He does come back to Florida sometimes, but I'm in California. Haven't seen him in a long time. Ted reported that he improved the response by 17 times once by just changing a headline. I don't know what that headline was or what the previous headline was, but I do remember a story he told where he was sitting in Houston at a radio studio and he was taking call-ins and he spoke the phrase, the only way left for the little guy to get rich. The only way left for the little guy to get rich. And the, the, the board at, at the radio station just lit up with phone calls and he knew he had a winner with that phrase. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a, there's a key hint right there, pay attention to and constantly be on the lookout for words, phrases, and ideas that get people interested and motivated. Notice people's responses. That's, and that not only is that going to help you with your headlines, it's gonna help you with all of your copy. So pay attention, okay? Now, Nathan, I, I critique between two and four pieces of copy each week for copywriters and business owners. And 
the biggest problems I see over and over again have to do with weaker headlines. And the way you can fix a weak headline where there's a problem, there's a, a soft spot in the copy, is also exactly the same way you can take something that's working and make it work better. So I want to go over four different problems with that and talk about how to fix each one. Awesome. Okay. Let's just jump right into it then. Okay. So the first problem is making a giant claim, a giant promise in your headline, which is not believable and it's not even relevant to what the marketer is offering prospects. Um, people do this all the time because they think, oh, well, I'm just going to throw some power words in there. Oh, I'm <laughs> just going to um, think about something people want and promise it to them because I know that works. That's, that's really short-sighted and stupid and very unprofitable too. Um, and the way to fix that is to change the claim to make it believable and, and to make it relevant to your solution. And let me explain why people get into this problem, why they just end up saying, it's, it's like they're throwing crap against the wall to see if it'll stick when they just make a big giant claim. The problem comes is they're just making stuff up, you know, making crap up. The, the problem comes when the copywriter does not take the time or do the work to discover what the target prospect believes to begin with. And, and we talk about this and getting into your prospect's way of thinking a few episodes ago, right? We show people how to do this. Um, the problem comes when people don't take the time to do that, and then they don't figure out, based on what the prospect believes now and what they want, what would be the best possible thing that you could offer them that the prospect is just on the edge of their belief of what is possible, okay? So do that. Do that. You know, start with the research and then use your imagination and keep it you know, color within the lines and maybe push a little outside of the lines, it becomes a lot easier and the chance of improving your copy goes way, way up. And if you've got something that's already working, see if you can tidy it up a little bit. See if there's anything you can do to make it more believable and more relevant. There was a headline. Uh, I'm not sure it went exactly this way, but I'm going to tell a story like it did. And the headline said, why some people always make money in the stock market. And I guess it was for a book on investing or something like that. And they put in, they said, well, you know, that sounds a little too much like Bernie Madoff. Nobody, <laughs> you know, well, they didn't say that, but they said something like that, right? In the back of the mind, though, that's what was going on. R right. But this was before Bernie made up or maybe Bernie was just a little kid just learning how to con people. I hadn't really hit the big time yet. <laughs> um, so they put the word almost in there, right? Why some people almost always make money in the stock market and the sales increased dramatically just, just by admitting that, yeah, it happened most of the time, but didn't always happen and became more believable. So I was working with somebody and they had a bunch of case studies and they were, they were wanting to work in the results that they had gotten from a bunch of case studies. And it's very similar to what you're saying. And it was actually the truth. What the, the claim that they were making on average was actually the truth, but it was, 
a claim that was beyond, even though it was 100% true, it was beyond the be believability of their target market. And so they weren't getting the response because even though it was true, it was hard for the people to believe. So what they actually did was they toned down um, the, the claim and they went with the lower end expectations because that was easier for the people reading it to believe that they could actually achieve that. And uh, it goes a long way to, to where even if it's actually the truth, even if you're not making stuff up, if it's too far for your, your client or your uh, prospect to believe that could work for their situation, um, they, it doesn't matter how realistic or true the results or the, the promise is, if they don't believe that they could get the same results, it's not going to be believable. Yeah, I mean... The truth will work a lot better when people believe it, and they don't always. You know, um, James Webb Young, who wrote The Diary of an Ad Man, said every, and he wrote in that book, every advertiser has the same problem, which is to be believed. And if people think that's easy, just tell the truth. I, I'm, I'm going to guess you haven't done a whole lot of direct marketing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, let's let's jump to the second problem. Okay. The second problem is the headline does not even remotely have anything to do with the conversation going on in the prospect's mind. It may be a perfectly good promise. It may be believable. It may be honest, but it's off target. It doesn't have anything to do with what the prospect is thinking about. And the fix to this one is to tune in to the conversation already going on in the prospect's mind and join it. Um, here, here is the problem. Many times copywriters, marketers, entrepreneurs, inventors, people who are creating stuff that they hope will lead to money, very often, and salespeople, they depend on their own imagination by itself or their own life experience by itself. And then they make this huge leap to the idea that what they have discovered or come up with is something other people will want to buy. Uh, maybe, not necessarily. People buy based on what they want and what they need, not what you pretend that they know they want or need, which they really don't. You're only making that up. And here's the worst part. when, And this might work great for a preacher or a judge or a parent, maybe. But as a marketer, this is death when you think they should want something or need, but they don't. And so you just start yelling louder. Hmm. Uh, no, that don't work. That causes loss of money. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this gets back to, again, the one piece of research that too many people haven't done. Two questions. Who is their prospect, really, as specifically and exactly as possible? and what's on their prospect's mind. Now, if you've got a piece that's working, your situation might be related but different. Your headline might miss the conversation going on in your prospect's mind by an inch rather than by a mile. And that's a great opportunity to fine tune and zero in. So get it exactly right, hit the bullseye, and your response will soar up into the stratosphere. A lot of times, you don't have to come up with the story. A lot of times the prospect is already telling themselves a story. You just have to tap into it and piggyback off of it. It's absolutely right. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, 
Have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Let's go to the third problem. Third problem is the headline is more of a description than a meaningful promise to the prospect. I know everybody knows that a headline is supposed to have a benefit in it. But Nathan, what everybody knows and what everybody does are often two different things. So um, when your headline is more of a description, which is static, which is still, which is like a statue, a description, you want to change that to what the product does, which is more like dynamic, more like a vehicle in motion. Okay. You want to turn your headline into an intriguing promise that relates to a big problem your prospect has, a problem your prospect is aware of, and a problem that you can solve with your product. And Gene Schwartz in Breakthrough Advertising says in chapter one, you can't put your product in the headline. You have to put something captivating about your product's performance in a headline. There are exceptions. When your product is that well-known and in that much demand, sometimes you can, but unless you're in that situation, which is very rare, then you want to put your product's performance in the headline. Here's a real simple way to think about it. Let's say you're in a hot place and there's no air conditioning, but you and you don't have the money to buy an air conditioner, but you have the money to buy a fan. So you go into the store and you're not going to be too interested in the composite materials used to create the fan blade and the aerodynamic performance of that fan blade. What you're going to be interested in is the cool breeze that makes you not so hot and sweaty when you turn on the fan and the blade starts rotating. The cool breeze and the result, not feeling so hot and sweaty, that is what is going to sell. That's the performance rather than, you know, the description of the product, you know, the steel, titanium, tin, lead, whatever it's made out of. Obviously, I don't know how to make fans, but... um, (laughs) Well, I I can speak to that. I have a fan in my bedroom and a fan in my studio. Both of them are window fans. They sit in the window. Both of them, I can tell you, dramatically decrease the amount of heat in the room, but I couldn't tell you the brand name of either one of them. Well, there you go. So if if we have any fan manufacturers or fan vendors, listen to Nathan. 
because he is a fan of your fans and he doesn't even know what they're made out of. <laughs> right. So in terms of what I was saying at the beginning about performance, performance is a benefit. And a good benefit can also turn into a good promise and really pump up your response. And the better the benefit, the better the response. Yeah. So number four. Okay. Number four is your headline is long and rambling when it could be a lot tighter and punchier and more effective. And the way to fix this is to tighten it up and make it punchier. Now, here is a problem. A lot of people look at long headlines and they think those headlines work. And they figure, oh, you can throw anything up there as long as you fill it with lots of hype and emotion. And actually, that's not true at all. In a headline, every word has to earn its place. You know who I first heard that from? The guy who writes the long headlines everyone tries to imitate. I'm talking about John Carlton. You know, we had him on the podcast a mm -hmm. few episodes ago. It's almost impossible, try as they do, for most people to imitate Carlton. For one thing, every headline he writes is very customized to a specific situation. And for another thing, if you look at his headlines, they look like this big mass of words until you look a little closer and you realize you can't take out one word to make it any better. Even though it's hard to tell that until you really examine his headlines, what you'll find when you do is that every word is honed and every headline is as tight and muscular and efficient as it could be. Let, let me give you an example, Nathan, from a Carlton letter. This is the, the pre-head or the eyebrow and the headline. A lot of words here. Why does this man have one of the most dazzling records on Wall Street? Mysterious Arizona, quote, human computer humiliates Wall Street, quote, experts for 21st consecutive year. You, you can't make that any shorter. And I defy you to make it any better. Oh, I mean, you might be very impressed with your handiwork, but I bet you couldn't get a better performance than you got <laughs> with that headline. Yeah, John is the master of uh, of making every single word earn its place. I, I look at his headlines sometimes, and I, I think to myself, like, every word, it, it's going to cost $100. You don't want to put a single word in there that that is going to be a waste of that $100. And John... When you go through his headlines and read them, every single word earns its place and is well worth the uh, the cost of putting that word there. Well, I know him personally, and I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that he's a very quirky guy. But boy, what you said is the absolute truth. And um, I don't know if I know anyone who pinpoints words, as, including myself, as well as he does. So there you go. You know. So those those are four ways to increase the response through headlines. There are, we've got four more ways. Um, look, if you can increase it by five or 10 percentage points or five or 10%, that's still pretty good too. I mean, that's free money. And so, and, and you can, I'm going to give you one example where it, it got increased by 200%. So um, with these other ways. So with your offer. Your offer is when you present what you're selling. And there are a couple of problems people have when they present their offers. The first one is there's no imagination used in presenting the offer. 
the way it's written generates no excitement. It has no romance. It creates no sense of possibilities. No good. You can fix this by putting more emotion and creativity or context into your offer. And if you're wondering how to do this, the way to do this is stop thinking so much about your own damn product and start thinking about your prospect's life. Think about how your prospect's life will be different and better once they are using your product, once they have it. That's really what you're selling anyway. You're selling them some improvement in some aspect of their life. And the more you can embellish that in a realistic and in a believable way, but also in a fanciful and expansive way, the better you're going to do with your offer. Now, here's another problem I see, and I haven't seen this as much in successful uh, letters as I do with people who are still learning. Um, the offer is not clear. The prospect doesn't know what they get. And this often happens when people are so exhausted from writing their copy, their sales letter, their webpage, their um, webinar, their video sales letter, their magazine ad, their newspaper ad. They're so exhausted by the time they get to their offer, um, they're not firing on all cylinders between their ears. Uh, and one way to fix this is to write your offer first or write it second after you write your headline and then write the copy in between. In other words, write it when you're not exhausted, when you're not tired. Write it when you're fresh and clear-headed and you have a lot of energy. So the fix is to, if your offer's that way now, rewrite it until it's crystal clear. And don't do it when you're annoyed, stressed, um, distracted, um, under a deadline, unless you're living in the real world, in which you'll probably have to do that anyway. But ideally, if you can do it in a quiet space, maybe early in the morning, you know, you've eaten a little protein, a little fat, you've had some coffee or some brain clearing supplement, something, and, and just take some time. You know, an offer can only be two or three paragraphs, but man, it makes a difference. When you're, when you're writing too, you have the disadvantage of if somebody's in the store trying to shop, they can pick it up, they can feel it, they can smell it, they can tap on it, they can look at it from all angles, and you have to be able to accomplish the same thing with words. So you've really got to be able to illuminate, um, you know, not ask them to walk into a dark room. You've got to be able to turn on all the lights so that they can see the room from all angles before you ask them to walk in. And then uh, going back to what you said about uh, not really clarifying what it is that you get. Also, besides just the physical deliverables or the digital deliverables, really let them know the transformation that they're going to get from making the purchase as well. Yes, absolutely. A, a lot of people leave that part out, but you know, as you find out when you add that to your offer and you see the response go up, you realize what a difference it makes. Yeah. 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 And then price is the last one and you know, the first problem people have is the price is too high or too low. The only way you'll know for sure is by price testing. Do A-B splits until you find the most profitable price point. Sometimes you can make more money by selling at a lower price point, even with a lower profit, because your close rate's going to be higher enough so that your net profit at the end of the day is higher for the amount of money that the sale costs you. The only way you're going to know is by getting control of your numbers. 
on that one. And the second way is, well, the second problem is sometimes people don't have a payment plan or they have a payment plan that can be improved. And this is the story that I was promising to tell you before. Gary Halbert told a story about an info product. I don't remember which one. Guthy Renker, the big infomercial marketer, was marketing a product. And Gary simply said, hey, tell him that you're not going to cash. Now, this is way back in the day when people still use checks, but the principle still applies. You can do this with a credit card, too. He said, tell people you're not going to cash their check for 30 days. And the conversion tripled. They got three times as many sales, and not many of them fell apart. Simply by putting in a payment plan where people got to keep and use the product for 30 days before they had to pay for it, although they would have to pay for it unless they got a refund because they had a, a check on file or maybe a credit card number on file. So putting together a payment plan, sometimes I've seen people, I have, I have one client now who's doing about four or five million a year and they haven't always done four or five million a year. And when they sell a product over a hundred dollars, they don't even put the price. They just talk about X number of payments at, you know, $59 a month or $39 a month or $79 a month. Um, I'm sure that came out of testing. So you can increase your conversions quite a bit if you have the patience and the understanding and the discipline to, to test different pricing structures. I have a couple of friends that do a lot of affiliate programs. They do a lot of affiliate sales. And they, mm -hmm. were, they were telling me recently that when they do product launches or, or uh, info product launches, course launches, anything like that, they were saying that between 30 and 50% of their sales end up being the payment, uh, the payment plans rather than the full payment up front. So especially for large purchases, multiple hundred dollar purchases, having a payment plan option can drastically increase the amount of, of people that actually buy in. Sure. And it only makes sense in terms of what we're already used to with larger purchases. Most people don't pay cash for a house. They pay a monthly mortgage payment or a rent payment, the same amount every month. Most people don't pay cash for a car. They have a monthly car payment, et cetera, et cetera, right? Most people don't pay, don't write a blank check to AT&T or um, Verizon for their cell phone, they have a payment every month. So people are used to that. And that's important. You have to think about how people are used to paying for other things that cost, you know, more than a hundred dollars, more than a thousand dollars. Nice. All right, David, this has been another fantastic episode. What can we look forward to next time? Well, next time I want to talk about how to use some of the secrets of hypnosis in your copy. Oh, uh, this is, <laughs> me and you have talked about this in the past, and this is some of the uh, really digging deep, very esoteric stuff that I think, uh, I'm worried about letting some of this stuff get out there, man. Well, I, I'm just not sure anyone should drive when they listen to the next episode, but I promise they will not be getting sleepy. Awesome. All right, David, this has been a fantastic episode. Copywriters, thank you for joining us. Until next time, we will see you later. Bye, everyone. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode.